The brother who led the prayer a few minutes ago was Brother J.W. Moon. Gavin's been going through all of these names for Donna and me this week. You know, Brother Fawn and Dad and Grampy and all those kinds of things. Well, that's Pawpaw. Uh, that's Mary Carolyn Turner's other grandfather, and it's been Grammy and Grampy for a while, and then this evening, Pawpaw and uh, Graham, Gran, Gran, I get it right in a minute, Pawpaw and Gran showed up. I was thinking, sitting there thinking, and I, I think I'm probably right about this, I'm going to look at these folks down here on the second row and first row and, and see if I'm right. Probably I can count on both hands the number of times that all four of us have been in the same place at the same time since these kids have been in the world. That's probably right. That's not very often that we get together and, and uh, get to share time as family. I don't know of any two people I would rather have raised our daughter-in-law than these two people sitting right here. We don't get to see each other very often, don't talk to each other hardly at all, we don't get along at all. But we think a lot of J.W. and Mary Ellen. They are special, special people. And we, if you don't know them already, they'll live a whole lot closer to you than, than we do. Uh, get to know them, and you'll get to know some, some really important and special people. Let me let you in a little family secret. These two women down here are where Mary Carol got her name. Did you all know that? Mary Ellen Moon... And Donna Carroll, Fawn, Turner was her maiden name, and that's where Mary Carroll got her name. And then Turner, Donna's maiden name was Turner, and then J.W. Mary Ellen had a, a son that didn't live very long, and his name was Eric, and so there's Turner Eric. There's the, there's the way the two kids got their names. That's how close we feel, even though distance and a lot of things separate us. Uh, we feel very close to these two people down here. Stan Watson has not forgotten how to cook in 10 years. I didn't realize it had been 10 years or over 10 years since I was down here one time holding a gospel meeting and I, I bragged on him and, and gave him permission to sleep during the sermon and I want to do that again this evening. Stan, just don't snore, okay? But he's been working. He told me Sunday he'd been working since Saturday on sauce and various things and he did a great job, and his class did a great job in providing a, a wonderful, wonderful meal for us. I have decided that there are the, some of the best, most diligent, dedicated Bible students at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama, of anywhere I know. A different class provided the meal for Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then I think it was three classes tonight that combined to provide the meal for tonight, and there were some people there every single night. They must be in every Bible class there is to be, and you guys really, really study the Bible around here, and I applaud you for that, and I appreciate the fact that you take all of that time to go to every class and make sure you know as much of the Bible as you possibly can. Let me read you something that I, I don't know, I found this on the internet some time ago as kind of an illustration or an introduction to what I have to say this evening. This guy writes these words, I sat down and looked through some magazines this past week. I discovered that if I want to feel right, 
I need to get a Nordic track. I don't have a Nordic track. Just a membership down at the gym, so I suddenly realized that I didn't feel as healthy as I thought I did. I then read that if I wanted to be stylish, I would need to buy a Toyota Camry. Our family van was in the shop, so I've been driving our old Mercury Sable. That felt bad enough. Real men drive SUVs or bright red sports cars. I've got four kids, so I don't have the luxury of driving what real men drive. So I found out that I couldn't be stylish with the cars I owned. Then I saw that if I wanted to really feel the spring season, I had to dress for spring season. And the only place for that was at Dillard's. I knew that I wouldn't have a chance to go to Dillard's that week. Suddenly, the beautiful weather just didn't seem that beautiful. I just wasn't dressed for it. Didn't get any better. I learned that I needed to be opening my mail with a knife from Oneida. I had only a $2 letter opener from Office Depot. Now even my mail was disappointing. On top of that, I discovered that I couldn't have a good satisfactory meal if I wasn't in Texas, at least a meal that would satisfy me completely so, so much for my lean cuisines. Then I read that if I wanted to be a man, at least a manlier man than my neighbor, I had to drive a yard man more with a Briggs & Stratton engine. Well, at least that was cheaper than a new SUV. I liked my house until I saw the new, new developments ad. I thought my family and I were close until I realized we didn't have season passes to the amusement park. I even thought I loved my wife, but since I hadn't bought her a diamond necklace from the jewelry store, I was informed that I didn't. I found out that I can't even be, be romantic with my wife unless we use Sylvia, Sylvania light bulbs. Wouldn't you know we have GE? By the time I got finished with those magazines, I wasn't just depressed. I needed counseling. I think a lot of people live their life that way. They're looking for the good life. They're looking for something they might call an abundant life and are looking for it in, in all the wrong places. Let me tell you about a phone call or two phone calls I've had since I've been down here. One I intended to make on the way down here, and I just flat forgot to make it. A real good friend of ours preaches in Marshalltown, Iowa. And I wish you could meet this younger man. He's not really a young man. He's, he's probably in his early to mid-50s now. He's never married. He spent a lot of his life taking care of his elderly mother who wound up with dementia and all kinds of problems, and finally... I don't know, a few months ago, a year ago, something like that, she, she passed away. He works for a little congregation that maybe has 20 people on a good day. And finally, earlier this year, he told them he was just going to resign so that they could not try to pay him anything. What, what they were paying him, with the help of congregations like ours and a few others, didn't even give him enough money to have health insurance. He, he doesn't have health insurance, and he's not in the best shape in the world. He's diabetic and got a few other situations going on. But he's staying and working with them and trying to live on what little support he gets from some other places like us. And he picked up a part-time job at Lowe's, and I think he's trying to get another part-time job somewhere else. He called me before we left Paducah, and we were talking, and not only was he taking care of his mother before she passed, 
he was taking care of an uncle that really treated him like a dog. He really did. But he needed somebody to take care of him, and so Dave was taking care of him, and now the uncle fell and broke his neck, literally broke his neck. And so he's calling me when he's going back and forth from the hospital, which is about an hour away, and tomorrow some very serious decisions are going to be made about his uncle's health. How do you think my friend would react to Jesus saying, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly? How do you think he'd react to that? We're talking about some reasons that Jesus himself said he came. And he said that in John chapter 10. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. They had a goal of being married for 50 years. They reached that goal. They didn't realize that when that 50th anniversary came, he would be in the hospital and probably not even knowing that the 50th anniversary came and went and she was sitting there by his side the whole time. I can't remember if he had... 12 strokes in 17 years or 17 strokes in 12 years, but when he's early 50s, he started having strokes. And that 50th anniversary a few weeks ago was spent with him in the hospital, probably not knowing where he was or what the day was or anything else. A couple of weeks or so ago, I participated, spoke at his funeral. If I were to take you to Paducah and knock on Jane Rudolph's door and say, I want to read John 10 to you. I want to read it where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. How do you think she'd react to that? You've got your own story, right? You either are going through it yourself or you know people who are going through a very, very difficult time with their health, with their finances, with their relationship, with struggles at work, or whatever the situation happens to be, and you're thinking, what is this abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10? What in the world could this all be about? And think about the one who said those words. On one occasion he said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And when he died, apparently the only physical thing he had, the only material thing he had was that piece of clothing that they were gambling for. And he said, yeah, but I can tell you how to live an abundant life. I'm coming that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Sunday afternoon, after I played the idiot and played softball, There were seven men sitting in a room somewhere in this building. I think it's over that direction somewhere. Yeah, I think it's Adam's kind of giving me directions. Over there somewhere. And we talked about something that four of those men wanted to talk about. Since I wear both hats at Central, I'm a preacher and an elder. I'm one of two preachers and one of four elders. I guess they just kind of wanted to pick my brain about the idea of being an elder, how to handle 
certain situations. There used to be a thing at Polishing the Pulpit called, called uh, this is what we do, it might work for you. I think they've discontinued that. I wish they hadn't because I think that's a good thing. And that's kind of, I guess, what we did Sunday afternoon. Here, what do you do in Paducah? How do you handle this in Paducah? And then I kind of got some ideas from them and about Alabama. Seven imperfect men, four elders that were here, two were out of town, Adam, Tyler, and me, and we're sitting there talking about the role of an elder, situations that elders need to be involved in and how you handle certain situations. Anytime I'm in a situation like that, anytime I'm given the opportunity to talk about elders, you will not find me spending tons and tons and tons of time in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, and Acts chapter 20. Oh yeah, I'll deal with that. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's the qualifications. Titus chapter 1, that's the qualifications. 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about some of the role of the shepherds and elders. And Acts chapter 20 talks about that also. Paul gives his admonition, his, kind of his parting advice to the elders at Ephesus. But I think sometimes we look at those passages, and especially when we start selecting elders or thinking about men who could be elders, we look at 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, we make us a checklist and start checking things. Well, I guess he's okay. We, we can check all these things off. What we spent some time with Sunday afternoon discussing my role as an elder, whether these men want to talk about it or not, is John chapter 10, where you find that expression, I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Okay? If one of the descriptions of being an elder in the Lord's church is that of being a shepherd, then every once in a while, maybe on a very continual basis, this guy needs to look in the mirror and say, okay, Jim, how are you stacking up with John chapter 10? How well do you know the flock? I know my sheep, Jesus said, and I'm known of mine. I know their names. I'm willing to sacrifice for them. And on and on and on, Jesus goes with what He sees His role as, what He performed His role as, as the Good Shepherd. And so every day, whether it's conscious on my part or kind of back in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, how do you stack up? How do you stack up, Jim, with the Good Shepherd? Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, you're given the job of shepherding the flock, tending the flock. And then later on in that chapter, it's talking about when the chief shepherd shall appear, so I'm going to answer to him someday. But that was Sunday afternoon. This is Thursday night. And I want to suggest to you that the best place to go to find out where to have this abundant life is not Wall Street or some fancy store or a car dealership or the stock market or anywhere else. But the best place to go is John chapter 10, where again the Lord uses the picture of a shepherd and sheep. Abundant living in John chapter 10 consists of 
following the shepherd. You got John chapter 10 open. I think you'll find that expression in there. They follow me. You know, there's a, there's a passage that I didn't mention a little while ago that really causes me to sit up and take notice as an elder. It's Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. The writer says to those of us who are Christians to obey those who have the rule over us, those who have spoken to you the Word of God. And then it talks about the fact that we ought to follow their faith. Whose faith follow? Considering the outcome of their life is a very loose paraphrase of what that verse says. Now, I don't know about my fellow elders in this room at Ninth Avenue or Blackwater or wherever you happen to be from. But that makes me do some thinking. I read that verse and I'm thinking, okay, if somebody really is following me as an elder, is my life leading them to heaven? Or is it not? Maybe why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, you be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. As long as I'm following Christ, Paul says, you follow me. Implication is, the second that I quit following Christ, you better quit following me. And you better follow Christ. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, about the example that Jesus left, that we should follow in His steps, or follow His steps, depending on the translation you have. Specifically, he's talking about how Jesus dealt with mistreatment. But I think that can be applied to any walk in our life. We need to follow the Good Shepherd. And if I follow the Good Shepherd, I'll have the kind of life that the Good Shepherd wants me to have. He knows what's best for me. How many times in my life, I'm not going to talk about you, I'm going to talk about me, how many times in my life do I think I knew more than the Lord did and I did it my way and I messed it up? Every single time. Why not just take the Lord and His Word and see what He has to say to me as a sheep? Not as an elder. I'm not talking about me in my official capacity. I'm talking about me as just Jim. Just a Christian. And see how the Lord wants me to handle conflict or personal relationships or worship or organization or any number of things you want to talk about, why not just follow the Good Shepherd? He knows where I need to be going. And He knows how to get me there. And so I need to follow Him. Secondly, I'm suggesting that following the Good Shepherd or living the abundant life, Jesus talks in John chapter 10 about the importance of knowing the Good Shepherd. Knowing the Good Shepherd. Have you ever run into a kind of, kind of a celebrity? Maybe it's a sports figure or maybe it's an actor, actress, or politician, or just somebody that's well known in the community or whatever, and you've had a casual conversation with them or you've shaken their hand or you've gotten their autograph or whatever. 
And sometime later, that name will come up in a conversation and somebody will say, do you know so-and-so? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I saw him back in 19 so-and-so and, and I talked to him for about five minutes. That's not the kind of knowing we're talking about here. That's not the kind of knowing. These two things work hand in hand. Knowing and following. Adam will be the first to let you know that I'm not a real tech geek. And Tyler's picked up on that this week too, that I've had to ask him a few questions about something I'm thinking about doing and I don't think I'm there yet. But I do know something about some of the, the social media that you can follow. You know, you can be on Facebook and have 50 100, 200, 1,000 followers. Do you know all those people? And the people that you follow, either on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else there is out there, or maybe the books you read. You know, I follow everything that so-and-so writes. I pick up every book that he has written or she has written. And I follow their philosophy of life or their whatever it is they're writing about. I follow him, I follow her. Is that the same thing as knowing that person? Jesus says in John chapter 10, not only, not only do I know my sheep, my sheep know me. How do you know Jesus? How do you know Jesus? Philippians chapter 3. I want to read something to you and I want you to think about it with me just for a minute and you can come up with your own answer if you you want to. We're not going to make a class out of this and discuss it and beat it to death or or whatever. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing about his life before he became a Christian, his life after he became a Christian, And the transition is made in about verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, here's our word, knowing Christ my Lord. Knowing about Christ my Lord, that's not what he wrote. You know, when he was on earth, in his earthly ministry, true or false, His half-brothers, Joseph and Mary's other sons, did they know Him? Yeah, they knew Him. Did they follow Him? Not while He was here before the cross. They didn't. In fact, you'll find a passage that suggests very strongly they want Him to go to Jerusalem and let Himself be known, and so maybe they can get rid of Him that way. Because the Bible says, neither did His brethren believe in Him. They knew Him, but they weren't following. You can follow without knowing, and you can know without following. For His sake, we're still in verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. What's he saying? I want to gain Christ. I want to make sure I'm in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him. And the power 
of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the question. I'm going to try to answer it this evening. I just want you to think about it. Is he looking to the future or is he talking about the present? I want to share in his sufferings that I may know him in heaven someday or I want to share in his sufferings that I may know him now. He went through a lot for me. And I'm willing to share in his sufferings that I can know him better now. Jesus said in John chapter 10, there's no question about that passage, if I'm going to be one of his sheep, I know him. It gets even more personal, more intimate. My sheep know my voice. My father passed away Well, my mother was the first one to pass away in 1999, October of 1999. My father passed away in December of 2000. I don't know how many people are in this room, but you cannot keep me from standing here in front of you and hearing their voices still in my head. I can tell you, I can't tell you, but I know exactly what my mother's voice sounds like or sounded like when she was alive. I know what my father's voice sounded like when he was alive. And as I reflect back on their memory and I think about their voices, I can even tell what kind of mood they were in when they were talking to me. I don't just hear the voice. If they weren't too happy with me, I can tell you how that sounded. If they were pretty happy with me, I can tell you how that sounded. If they were pleased or displeased or, or whatever the situation happens to be, my sheep hear my voice. <laughs> we were talking to some of you all the other day. I don't remember when it was. One of, the, one of the meals or somewhere since we've been here, and we're talking about our family and some uh, idiosyncrasies, I guess, our family has. When our kids were growing up over in Dexter, Missouri, and that's where they basically did their, their growing up, I'm up here preaching all the time. Donna's having to make sure that things are going okay on the pew. And, of course, all the kids want to sit with their friends. And Donna's rule was, you can sit with your friends as long as you're sitting somewhere where I can see you. Well, that worked pretty well. And if something was going on that she didn't appreciate, all she had to do, and I'm not exaggerating, <clears throat> that's it. Clear her throat, and Amber and Adam straightened up, and if they didn't, there's a, she found out there's a place right in here that you can pinch and you can really cause a lot of pain. And I think one time she had to slip over behind one of the kids and grab that place and make sure that that child understood this isn't going to be accepted in worship today. Another family secret besides the names of the grandchildren. I don't care where we are. I don't care if it's the 9th Avenue Auditorium if it's the central auditorium, 
If it's Yankee Stadium, if Amber and Adam and Jim and Donna are all there, and that clearing of the throat is heard, there are three heads, Amber, Adam, and Jim, that turn and think, what did we do? What happened? We know her voice, and we also know how she clears her throat. And because of that, we have that kind of relationship, or maybe because of the relationship, that's why we, we know the voice. And somebody says, yeah, but I can't know the voice of Jesus today. He doesn't speak to me like He spoke to those people. Well, remember why John said he wrote his book? Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples. They're not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through His name. I'm not going to hear a voice. But the more time I spend with that book, the more time I spend hearing what Jesus had to say in that book, the more I'll understand what the Lord wants me to do and the better relationship I'll have with Him. John chapter 6. This kind of refers back to some things we talked about last night briefly. In John chapter 6, there's all this group of people and they're following Jesus and He tells them their motives aren't exactly right. But He talks to them. And He talks to them a long time. And He gets down to the part where the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. you got two reactions, don't you? great multitude of those people, they're gone. Jesus turned to His disciples and said, will you also go away? And Peter's response, thankfully, was, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are some who will know, who will hear, who will follow for a while, who will hear the voice, read the words in Scripture. It's not for me. I'm not going to follow Him. I'm not going to be one of His sheep. This isn't in the text. But I think there's enough difference between sheep and people that we understand we can make decisions where sometimes sheep can't do that. And I'm convinced that John chapter 10 at least hints at the fact that if I'm going to follow Jesus, be a sheep in His flock, I'll decide to do that. I'll make the commitment to do that. I talked about my parents a little while ago. Both of them were in a nursing home toward the end of their lives. But there was a time when my mother was in the nursing home and my father was not. And my dad was one of those men, you've heard this illustration before, but it's not a made-up story with me. It's, it's true. I saw it happen. 
He'd drive up to that nursing home, get out of the car, or maybe before he got out of the car, he'd check a mirror somewhere. And he wanted to make sure his hair, and even at age 80-something, that his hair, what he had left, it was getting kind of thin. His hair was all in place. He'd kind of straighten up his collar a little bit. And he'd walk in there to a woman who had no clue who he was and no clue who she was and no clue as to who their only son was. Why go to all that trouble? She's not going to know if you're here or not. And if she does kind of realize that you're here, she's not going to know it's you. And she's not going to care about how she looks or how you look, and she doesn't care about how she looks for that matter. Why do that? Because way back there in 1940, he said, I do. And he kept doing for 60 years. Whether she knew him or not, whether she appreciated it or not, Donna's parents were 60 years also, weren't they? That's commitment. That's you decide to do something. If I'm going to be a sheep in the flock, it's not like, well, I think I will if it works out okay, and if it doesn't work out okay. Why, when I get up Sunday morning to preach at Central, do I see Alta May Hinkle coming through this side door with a walker or a wheelchair or however she can get there, and she makes her way back two or three pews, and she finally gets situated? Why do I do that? Because she made a commitment a long time ago to serve her Lord. And she doesn't just serve him by showing up on church, at church on Sunday morning. She writes notes and makes phone calls and does what she can during the week. Why do I look out and see people who could be there? But a ball game is more important. Or a golf game is more important. Or a shopping trip or sleeping in on Sunday morning or any number of other things. A lot more important than being at the worship service. Why do I see that? Because they made a decision too. They made a decision that I'll just kind of halfway do this and it'll be okay. People who make the decision, who make the commitment, stick with it. If the Lord is my shepherd, I will tell others about Him. Don't you tell people about things you're interested in, whether it's some sports team or a car or fashion or whatever it is. If the Lord is my shepherd and I'm really devoted and committed to Him, I will talk to others and I'll tell them. The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to know that. You heard the story about the little boy that was going to quote the 23rd Psalm? Had a class or some kind of presentation and his job was he's going to quote the 23rd Psalm. And so he stood up and he said, The Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. That, that's all I know. I think that's all he needed to know. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll tell people that. I'll tell them that I've got everything I need. I shall not want. I'll tell them that I'm content. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I'll tell them that He leads me beside the still water because sheep sometimes will drink from any kind of water and rushing water scares them. And so this still water in Psalm 23 apparently is a a gently flowing stream of clear, healthy water. And I'll tell people that's how much love my Lord has for me. He leads me beside the still water. And if I get too comfortable in that grass and I become what some shepherds call cast, that means I've rolled over and I can't get up, He'll restore my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He knows where the good stuff is. And it's for His name's sake. It's not just about me, but it's about how much He loves me and how much He cares for me. I'll talk to others about my Lord, my shepherd. I'll tell them about how good a shepherd He is. And then I'll talk to Him. And I'll tell Him, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, notice how the pronoun changes? Thou, you, are with me. How do you like to walk through the woods on a dark night? I'm not real crazy about that. And it's a valley. And it's a shadow of death. And there's darkness. And you realize that's not the destination. The destination is somewhere else, but you still are concerned about your safety. I'm not going to fear anything because my shepherd's with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they provide comfort for me. You kind of guide me and even sometimes you have to jerk me back into line because I'm getting off the path here. And, and sometimes just walking along, you'll lay one of those things on my back just to kind of let me know that you're there. Like a couple that's been married for 50 or 60 years or 46 years. Just walk along and hold hands, just not in a romantic way necessarily, but just, I'm here. I just want you to know that. The shepherd will talk, the sheep rather, will talk to the shepherd and will let him know how much he appreciates that kind of protection. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then, sometimes in some seasons of the year, the best grass isn't down here. It may be up on a mesa on a table. And so, Lord, I know that You'll prepare a table for me where the good grass is. And I know that there are enemies up there, but You'll prepare that. There might be some poisonous plants up there, but You've gotten rid of those and You're willing to fight off the enemies and You'll give me the nourishment that I need. And I know that there are parasites, Bugs that bother sheep. But I know also that there are 
oils that will take care of that. So you anoint my head with oil. And because of all of that, my cup runs over. I'm living the abundant life. And then finally, I will talk to myself and I will say, surely, Jim, whatever you're going through in this life, what you've told other people about your shepherd, what you've told the shepherd about your shepherd, keep on remembering, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And this ain't it. Earth is not it. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As this meeting comes to a close, at least my part of it comes to a close, I want everybody in this room, including the man standing right here, to ask ourselves, do I have that kind of relationship with the Good Shepherd? Are the words of the Bible just words on a page? Are the accounts of things Jesus did when He was here on the earth just interesting stories to read? Or am I living the abundant life? If a man who had no place to lay his head, and I know he's more than a man, and apparently didn't have very many material things, if he can say, I'm going to tell you how to live the abundant life, you live the abundant life as one of my sheep. If he can say that with all of the things they didn't have back then, then surely with all the things we do have today, we can get a little inkling of what the abundant life is all about. Are you a Christian? Do you believe that the Good Shepherd is the Good Shepherd? That Jesus is the Son of God and are you willing to turn from your sin? Let people know about your faith? Are you willing to let Adam or Tyler or somebody baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins and be added by the Lord to the church, His flock? Are you willing to follow Him, the Good Shepherd? And maybe you haven't been following Him as a good sheep and you need to come back I think I remember the Lord talking about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and he only lost one. One percent's not bad. It's bad to him. That's one soul that needed to be back in the flock. If you need to come, why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing the song of invitation?